This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to our website, accessradiotaranaki.com. Good morning New Zealand and welcome to all my listeners at Access Radio Taranaki, Coast Access Radio, Radio Hawke's Bay, Arrow Radio Masterton and I'm your host Neville Wallace broadcasting from Hara for the next 30 minutes. On the show today I have only two guests, Kerry Warsnop, an East Coast farmer who is doing her Nuffield Scholarship and Harding's Funeral Director Kelly Judkins discussing what you need to know when it comes to departing this mortal world. So let's hear more from a very well-informed Kerry Warsnop about the international world of farming, whether it's policy and politics, or whether it's subsidies, quotas, tariffs and regulations. Here she is, Kerry Warsnop. This morning we catch up with Kerry Warsnop. This will have to be a quick chat with Kerry because she is packing her bags and she's off again and she is seeing the other side of farming around the world. Good morning, Kerry. Good morning, Neville. Now, you're off again. What are you going to tell us about this morning? How much different is farming overseas or other countries than New Zealand? Yeah, um, I've, I've been very fortunate. I'm, I'm halfway through a Nuffield scholarship and, uh, and I've, I've done a big chunk of the travel that I needed to do for my independent research, was on, which is looking at uh, the way we develop policy and with a focus on agriculture policy. And, yes, I've been travelling and meeting with people. Uh, I've been in five countries um, over that six-week period, uh, from Canada and the US uh, and to the Netherlands and the UK, and uh, I was in Singapore on the way home. And, yeah, just I think the thing I hadn't appreciated before, never having really travelled with my, um, I guess, my agriculture head on, <laughs> was, yeah, the, the culture that we've somehow inadvertently cultivated in New Zealand is is so, so different to what other countries have. We've, we've managed to, um, there's a pervading sense of, of negativity in agriculture in New Zealand that doesn't exist in a lot of these other countries, you know, the the really, really um, partisan political nature of it in, in yeah. this country is, you know, it's completely absent in some of the other countries. The Netherlands was an exception that, that seems to have taken a similar route to New Zealand. Um, but yeah, I, honestly, I learnt, learnt so much about the way we see ourselves as farmers in New Zealand and how much of that is influenced by policy and politics, yeah. which... You know, not not in a particularly good way. I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Now the other thing, Kerry, of course, some of those farmers would be beholden to the governments over there. Because how many of those overseas countries that you've been through are not mm-hmm. subsidised for their farmers, or farmers are not subsidised? Yeah. No, no, so we are, we're alone, really, and, and um, Australia is um, similarly, you know, not, not heavily subsidised in terms of agriculture, but, but we are basically on our own in terms of the fact that when our government wants to do something differently, the only tool it uses is regulation. Uh, all of these other countries have subsidies, they have um, quotas that they manipulate, they have supply um, 
agreements and all these all these other different tools that they will use, um, tariffs, etc., that essentially protect their farmers so they can pretty much say, well, you know, we want farming to do X and the way we're going to deliver that is we're going to pay you this much and we might pull up the rules behind you, but essentially the farmers are usually, the idea is that they're no worse off, uh, which the ethos behind that is that they, they actually see huge value in agriculture for food security primarily, but also all of the countries that I visited had a, had a really healthy exporting focus as well. And the irony of coming back to New Zealand, who who desperately needs its exporting focus, and the the only tool we have is regulation, and it's the only tool we've had since since the mid eighties. And uh, so many people that I asked, I said, look, if you were trying to do, because they're all trying to bring about change, right? We're, we're yep. not alone in that. Um, I said, look, if the only tool you had was regulation, could you do what you're trying to do? And they all said no. Not one mm. single one of them said yes. So, um, yeah, and, and I think that's, that, that really highlights just how much of an international outlier we really are. I think probably our regulators don't realise, maybe the public doesn't realise, maybe even our farmers don't realise. Yeah. I think we're coming to the end of our regulatory rope. There's only so much more that regulation can deliver, given that we are in competition with these other markets, these other, you know, producers who are, you know, they have the aid of their government, yeah. of, the, of the wider society, and we certainly don't have that. Now, well, I'm going to ask you a question, Kerry. What have you, or did you learn anything as to why I've seen headlines that the Americans are upset about our land being exported over to their country? Um, I think that's probably just a reflection on the fact that lamb all over the world at the moment is, is not paying as much. And, no. you know, when when that happens, which is what happens when the world becomes poorer, like lamb is a, a high-value right. high protein. Um, so when everyone is feeling less rich, they buy less things. And typically we look for someone to blame for the fact that we're not making as much money as we were before. Um, but, no, when I was over there, it was kind of just before this real... Um, I guess what's well, been a bit of a collapse, really, in the in the land price. Um, but no, I understand uh, Canada's going through similar um, troubles. Uh, we we certainly, I mean, there are going to be plenty of farmers squealing this year, as and uh, you know, in the hills uh, around the price of land as well. So I mean, we could we could say, look, it's not helpful for us that that other countries are subsidised to produce their lamb, um, but that's not going to change the, the no. fundamental market dynamics. Now, is there any of those countries bring regular scholars like you are going over there learning about how they farm over there? Is there any other countries that are bringing young people to New Zealand to learn how we do it here to sell our side of yeah. the argument? <laughs> yes, so um, Nuffield's an international um, scholarship program and there are big numbers of scholars um that come out of uh, England and or Britain, Great Britain, uh, Australia, Canada, um, the US has some. Like it's, it's a global network, so there are scholars moving around all the time. One thing I did strike that I did find um, quite amazing was just how many of them do come to New Zealand. So when they're looking for answers for their domestic problems or you know questions and things 
improve on. A huge number of them come to New Zealand. And I I met numerous people on my travels who had done scholarships in years gone by. Some some of them were decades ago. And, yeah, some of them spent almost their entire scholarship year in New Zealand. So, um, yeah, we're very, very popular in that regard. They do know they can learn from us. Um, Mostly what they want to learn is just how we've managed to become as efficient as we have uh, because we're very, very well known for that. Um, and, and they try and take that back and deploy it in, um, you know, in systems yeah. that are quite different yeah. to ours. Now, I might have the country wrong here, but I've been reading about these, I call them lads that came from Manchuria, of all places. They shore oh. their sheep with scissors. But uh, we've, so we're, we've so educated <laughs> them and sent them back and sold them a few shearing plants and they're going great guns. And I just sort of thought that was great to open their eyes and lead them to, you know, doing yeah, things a yeah. lot easier. Although, I'm sure we probably still have a handful of blade shearers in the South Island somehow. But, but you're right, the technology that we just take for granted that has been here decades and decades, um, it, it's not everywhere. Uh, there are... I think huge, huge disparities in the in the efficiencies that agriculture around the world uh, has, simply because you know the technology has evolved at a very, very different rate. I think the global um, the global cow herd is less than two cows, simply because most people in India still just have one cow. Yeah. So you know, there's there's very, very different. Um, sort of, uh, well, America, it's got a few hummocks and mountains in it, hasn't it? Some of the land yeah. is considerably as yeah. high as Mount Egmont, I understand. Well, there's a huge diversity. I think that's probably what I'd say of the US is um, much like New Zealand where you can, you, know, you can go mountains to the sea, you can do that here too. It's just, you know, it takes you days and days and days to do it. Yeah. You, um, oh, yes. You're not going to do it in an hour. But um, I spend most of my time in um, Pennsylvania, which yeah, I, I came back to New Zealand just going, wow, that the extent of the good quality land in states like Pennsylvania is just incredible. Um, it just goes for miles and miles and miles. Just, you know, land that we um, we look around our, um, our most productive land in the Waikato or, or Canterbury and they have plenty and go, oh, wow, this is great land. And you, just, <laughs> you can drive through these entire states and virtually the whole state looks like that. Um, I, I don't think we understand just how little land we have relative to what is available for agriculture globally. That's what makes it so astonishing that we produce so much of it. Um, yes. The, that, that's, that's something that I've really had to wrap my head around. Well, thank you for an interview at very short notice, Kerry Wozniak. All the that's best no to problem. pack your bag and to continue <laughs> your learning travels to bring back news to New Zealand farmers and the public too. Thank you, Kerry. That's all right, no problem. You have to chase me up again when I've got some actual policy answers for you. 
from farming to funeral, here is Harding's funeral director Kelly Judkins answering the difficult questions and offering advice when it comes to arranging a relative's or friend's funeral services. The idea that everyone is busier than ever has never been truer than in today's funeral business. With me is the proprietor of Harding's Funeral Services, Kelly Judkins. To help any, everyone in the time of grief, Kelly has given me time to discuss matters that will m- help make funeral arrangements easier. Good afternoon, Kelly. Hey, good afternoon, Neville. How are you? Box of fluffy ducks at the moment. Kelly, good when someone dies, you're the first contact from a close relative. From observations, I notice that people die, well, naturally, but then again, there's instances where a coroner is involved. Can you explain the difference here, Kelly, and the reasons? Yeah, I can. So a coroner is is actually a legal appointment under the Coroner's Act of New Zealand, and has that coroner has the duty to establish a cause of death in different circumstances. The coroner becomes involved when mainly when a doctor is unavailable or unable to establish a cause of death or there's a sudden or expected death or maybe there's been a car accident or something accidental happen. Um, And so in these cases, it's important to ensure that the person who has died has not been moved or disturbed in any way without the permission of the coroner. So that's where you would probably find the police would be involved alongside emergency services. Ah, right. Now, from this point in time, Kelly, what does a funeral director need to know to arrange a funeral and where do those discussions take place? Ah, so a funeral director can either come to your home to arrange a funeral or you can meet alternatively at their funeral premises. But the funeral arrangements comprise generally of four parts. The first part is information that is required to register a death And that means uh, all the birth, deaths and marriage information that somebody has accumulated throughout their lifetime is recorded and that death is registered with birth, deaths and marriages. Now, the second part of a funeral arrangement is to organise what somebody would like when they have a funeral So for that, um, where would you like it? Is it on a beach or is it in a church or whatever venue of your choice? And all the service sheets are catering, the embalming, dressing, different cultural customs observed, um, liaising with a florist and a minister, a celebrant, or organising burial or cremation services with the councils and that type of thing. Then after that, if the funeral is a public one, then we'll organise newspaper notices. Um, And then, of course, with that, um, that might also come live stream and things like that. And then the last part is when 
Cremation is the committal choice for a family. What you'll find is that there are application forms to fill out with the funeral director so that a cremation might be obtained. So what you're saying that people should know where their birth and marriage certificates are of their wives, brothers or whoever's involved. And that comes to a question, who does the decision-maker be in a family, Kelly? Usually the next of kin. So if you have a husband or wife who's passed away, then their spouse will have usually the right of um, choice, if you like, probably because over life they've got to know what that person who has died's wishes are. If, if that's not the case, then generally an executor who is appointed to ensure that the deceased's wishes have been fulfilled, um, otherwise you can more than adequately write your wishes down and make them well known before you pass away. And that, and that term is what we would call a prearrangement. Ah. Yeah, just moving on with the choices, uh, burial or cremation, uh, did you touch on the caskets? Because they can vary in price from, well, I don't know what the heck, you're making them out of wool at one stage, never followed that one up, Kelly, but uh, there's a wide range of caskets, isn't there? Oh, caskets are a really wide range of options now, and you can have anything. We've got woolen caskets, wicker caskets. We can have caskets that look like Lego blocks and you've got pine boxes and you've got MDF with wood lookalike. I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is to recognise that the funeral itself is about the deceased and not the casket. So by all means, choose something that's appropriate for the ceremony and recognise what you can afford and then go from there. And don't allow yourself to be sold an upgrade if that's not what you wish. So what have you done in your career, Kelly? What's been some of the outstanding ones that, oh, that was a jolly different one that that person wanted? Oh, as in casket or yeah. ceremony? Well, both of them because they sort of go hand in hand or not hand in hand, but, you know, alongside each other because yeah. I understand that sometimes coffins have been decorated by family. Sometimes uh, other people have decorated them with various... Yeah, so so with caskets, and while I've highlighted the ones that a funeral director can sell, as long as a family is confident they can fulfil the obligations of the Burial Cremation Act in New Zealand, then they could even make their own casket. So if I take you back a number of years, I had a family who said mum always wanted to go out in an apple box. And I didn't know what they were up to, and I joked at them, and I said, well, uh, 
you probably won't have an apple box that's the right size. And they said, well, actually, yes, we have. And up up the driveway came a car with a trailer behind it, and they had made an apple box for their mum to go out in. So, So you can have an apple box if you want, as long as it reaches and maintains legislative requirements, then that's not a problem. Um, whereabouts can you have your funeral? We've had beautiful funerals on the top of a cliff overlooking a beach. We've had a funeral for an old stock agent in a wool shed, and that was fabulous too. We've had uh, funerals in cow sheds. We've had funerals in event centres and everything else in between. It's what suits the person is what is most important. Now, I noticed there a lot of people, uh, well, are they having their funerals live streamed or this yeah. would be an interesting modern phenomenon to my way of thinking, Kelly, because they would have only come in how long ago? So it really, really came to the forefront in 2020 as a response to the COVID lockdowns and what we found because people weren't allowed in the country and they weren't allowed out that our very transient lifestyle of 2019 and before meant that we could come home very quickly if somebody died. Now, and especially during that um, two years where we had restricted travel, we weren't able to come home at the drop of a hat. However, the technology meant that wherever you were in the world, you were still able to watch, you were able to listen and take part in a funeral if it was being live streamed. Now, that is that actually a video that people can keep? Because I understand I've been to people's places where they said, oh, this is my wife in the urn on the mantelpiece here. Would they be able to do the same or similar with a live streaming video and say, look, we'll have a look and see who was at the funeral, you know, I'll go back over with you? It's important to make sure that the difference between live stream and recording is discussed with the funeral director. It depends on the funeral home as to whether or not they give you an option of that recording to watch later or not. So it is important to discern the difference and then talk with your funeral director about that so that you can. Now I can hear everybody saying, he hasn't got the bloody question I want to know. What's the cost of a funeral nowadays, Kelly? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so um, it, it actually, yes, how do I answer this? I have put out funeral accounts between $6,000 and $53,000. And there are funerals all the way in between those two figures. And as you can appreciate, um, they, they really have a variance there. Now, if you are looking at 
funeral costs, you would be best to start looking at the professional fees of a funeral director and what those might involve and what they include. Um, our funeral home service fees usually cost anywhere between five and six and a half thousand dollars for a full service. Um, that would be where you might go to a funeral, have all of the bells and whistles and um, all the options available to you. Now, if you do that, by the time you've purchased a casket, the catering, a cremation fee or burial fees, um, newspaper notices, live stream videographers, flowers, and different tributes, priests and church expenditure, venue hires, you may well be sitting in around the twelve to fifteen thousand um, in our area anyway. Different funeral homes will have different um, expenditures available to them, so it really is a regional thing. Now, we've covered a lot of information today, Kelly. Is there any booklets of what we've been discussing or talking about that people could pop into your office and get a copy? Yeah, there's a couple of really fabulous books available to people when they come into a funeral home that is affiliated to the Funeral Directors Association of New Zealand. The two that I would recommend are one called My Life, my farewell and that book will guide you throughout the pre-arrangement process and what else you can do and what else is required by a funeral director to undertake a funeral well with a lot more information than usual. The other book is called Knowing What to Do and that will cover a lot of the questions that you have asked today plus a few more if people found, have found that their questions haven't been answered today. Well, thank you for your time today, Kelly Judkins. You did very well explaining a very uh, complex, I say, subject that people don't really want to talk about. So thank you for that. <laughs> it's a pleasure, Neville. Thank you. And just remember that any day above ground is a very good day. And to end our show for today, let's go out with a lass who sometimes sings at funerals, Lynn Edwards singing... Waltz across Texas. i
This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to our website, accessradiotaranaki.com.